Hello and welcome back to the Couple's Guide to Stranger Things podcast. I'm Shan. And I'm Tom. And we're just a couple of super fans who met through our love of Stranger Things. In today's episode, we are going to start our rewatch of season one with The Vanishing of Will Byers. Shall we dive in? Let's go. So before we do start talking about season one, episode one, we just wanted to say a quick thank you for everyone that has listened to the podcast so far. Um, We've now got our analytics um, via our podcast host. It only shows downloads rather than everyone that's actually listened, um, but it gives you a little bit of insight into the locations. So do you want to hear where people have been listening from? Yeah, go for it. So a big hello to the United States of America. Yeah, I understand it. (laughs) If you can put up with the accent. The United Kingdom. And and guess what? It's not just us in the UK. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Not just your sister and brother-in-law as well? No. I don't even think my brother-in-law listens. (laughs) But I know my sister does, so hello, Steph. (laughs) Um, Egypt, Sweden, Austria, Belgium, Germany, Poland, Canada and Australia. How amazing is that? So thank you so, so much. Wherever you're listening from. Wherever you're listening from. Because as I say, this is only the download data. Yeah, Um, so that doesn't include the streaming data. No, no. So thank you so much. Like, as I said, we're just literally a couple of super fans. We're just ordinary people. Having a bit of fun. Having a bit of fun with a microphone. I was going to say on a cheese grater, but that sounded really weird. Well, it is in a cheese grater. It still is in a cheese grater, people. We're not that rich yet. Please help us. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's start properly now. So, we have just watched episode one, The Vanishing of Will Byers. Yeah. How do you feel overall, having just watched that? I just want to jump straight into episode two, of course. I know, this is the thing. <laughs> you and me, we're both binge watchers, we aren't are. we? When we've got a fantastic show, we just want to go straight through but i must admit like i said earlier to you it was actually quite nice to stop because instead of being in that kind of binge watching mentality i was trying to take in everything yeah because i knew it was the only episode that we were going to watch tonight just tried to take everything in that was happening and i thoroughly enjoyed it yeah i get that and as well as that obviously one thing i always find with this show is when I binge watch, things blur together through the episodes. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it lets you focus in on what happens in that one specific episode without having to remind yourself, oh, was that this episode? Was that episode two? Yeah. So on and so forth. Because that's it. We might be super fans. And you in particular, I think, have got that kind of memory where you're excellent at recalling when things have happened in certain yeah. episodes of certain sometimes, series. Sometimes I can be terrible, but... No, but I, I, I think, mean, no, I genuinely think you're really good at it. Um, but it can merge so yeah, easily. exactly. And I mean, an example of me being bad at that was thinking Karen's coming out of a shell talking with Nancy was in season four. But... <laughs> um, <laughs> generally I can be okay I mean I think season one is the most in terms of when it blurs together Yeah. I think when I binge watch it through it is one, it's just an eight hour movie I'm just excited 
to watch every episode, to be honest, because we, we haven't had the opportunity to do a rewatch in a long time. Yeah, I exactly. would say we haven't done a rewatch since before season four came out. I think so. I don't think I ever properly rewatched it for season three either. No. So I am really looking forward to this, especially, you know, as the seasons go on, you get more background knowledge. Yeah. So it's really, it, it's every time you watch it, you come up with new theories and new ideas. And I've got to say, we have experienced that with this episode. Yeah, exactly. Especially not only after season four, but the play. Yeah. Oh, God, definitely. <laughs> um. So obviously this starts on November the 6th, 1983. Um. There was little things I hadn't really noticed before, right at the beginning, um, such as the TV in the Wheeler House isn't working properly. Very small yeah. things like that, but we now know how much the static and the electricity and everything is caused by what's going well, on. Well, at least probably. Obviously, it could just be genuine, you know, one of the kids has knocked it to the side. I doubt that scene is Mike's been in the basement for 10 hours. <laughs> There's Holly as well. <laughs> it's true, I suppose. <laughs> or Nancy. But no, I don't think it's there for no reason. I think yeah. it's definitely to do with all the power shortages going on, everything, like the power that's going on with L, and obviously these kind of surges with the upside down. Yeah, and can we appreciate for a second, of course, how better to immediately tell you that this is set in the 80s, to have the first... Well, other than Hopper's TV, the first TV show on a television to be Knight Rider. <laughs> Tom's a big Knight Rider fan. <laughs> Hush now. <laughs> Let me fanboy. <laughs> no, they did have brilliant 80s references in this. Like the music, I, I mean, I'm skipping a bit ahead, but obviously the makeout scene with, um, um, I was going to say Mike and L then, that was not a makeout scene. Which <laughs> oh, not quite, not yet anyway. You've got two <laughs> seasons to wait for that. <laughs> the Mike... No, Nancy. I, I've written fan fiction today, so I've got Mike and Elle on the brain at the minute. Yeah. Um, I've got to take a moment. I wrote fan fiction today, people. That is, a, it's a shocker. Whilst I had a toddler in the house shutting the laptop whilst I was trying to write. I don't know how I managed it, but I did. And my child is still alive and is fed and is asleep. <laughs> and by that we mean he, he's not up for adoption yet. No. <laughs> yet <laughs> we'll see how he behaves yeah but no in the makeout scene between nancy and steve like you've got africa playing like i this season was just brilliant for music and yes. all the references that they used Absolutely. they went full out yeah I, I was just gonna say they pulled out all the stops with it they wanted to immediately make it a love letter to the 80s yeah. and they do very well from oh, all the music yeah. to Knight Rider being the first show you see on the TV yeah all of it just all adds up and obviously the aesthetic as well mm. every room in like first of all Hopper's trailer yeah and then the Wheeler house it all just feels so 80s yeah and you know that they've done a brilliant love letter to the 80s because of the fact that they're not getting sued left, right and centre by, you know, like people like Steve, yeah. Stephen King and all these kind of people that have like E.T. and all, like all these references that they have that they use that are so big in the show. Like no one from those kind of franchises have ever sued them no, because exactly. they know that they're doing it from a point of they know the reference and they are just passionately showing it to us you know yeah. in a different form exactly it is 
yeah it's just it was so oh it's so funny to say like it's just like such a new way to do media when it's literally based in the 80s but yeah. do you know what I mean yeah like it brought something back but it brings its own thing I get you I, I yeah some of the camera angles and stuff remind you of how 80s shows themselves were made yeah I guess is what you mean there yeah but at the same time obviously it's modern it's, day it's yeah. mo- well 2016 but it's yeah. still modern day in comparison yeah yeah um I just I just love it as you can tell <laughs> <laughs> if you've been listening at all to the podcast I'm sure you might have a slight inkling that we absolutely love this show possibly I just I just don't know if it comes across you know I, d- I don't know I don't think we say it enough <laughs> so one of the first big moments that we both talked about was the demogorgon going for will yeah and we're both in agreement aren't we that that demogorgon is after Will specifically. Yeah, like you say, it first of all, the lab and the buyer's house aren't that close together. No, not So massively. why is it there yeah. in the middle of the road when Will's specifically coming for it? And then... It doesn't it's give not, up the chase. It does not give up the chase. It's not like he's bleeding and no. attracting it with blood or anything. He's just there and runs away and why yeah why has this demogorgon specifically followed him yeah it's tracking him specifically yeah and i know that they have referenced them being similar to sharks with the blood and everything i don't think a shark would track you that long no i really don't they'd give up and go somewhere else the only thing i can think that people would use as a defense for that is there's nobody else around, as far as we can see, between the road and the house. That is true. So if that shark is hungry... But the thing is, knowing... Obviously, not in this episode, but knowing the rest of the season, it's not like it eats him. No. He's still alive. He's incubating a yeah. baby demogorgon. And so. we kind of know as well that it probably isn't hungry because it's just been through the lab. You, you you bring a fair point. <laughs> you bring a it's fair probably got point quite again. a fair belly, a yeah. full belly, I should say. Okay. Um, and you had mentioned as well about like the chain on the door. Yeah. So obviously, first of all, demogorgon wise, we don't think they are telekinetic. No. First of all, I don't think so. You know, they're just standard beasts of another world. Mm. But here it is, moving the chain on a door first of all telekinetically but second of all how does this beast from another world know what that chain is the fact that it has to move it to open the door how does it know any of this no and we can only assume that Wagner is in its head yeah now knowing season four and the play and the whole hive mind scenario of things it has to be Henry behind the scenes. Definitely. That's it. Like like we said, in the play, um, Henry says to Joyce, you know, one day you'll know what it's like to fight for something you love. Like, believe me. And I do think he's picked for a reason. I do think yeah, Will's picked. Yeah, I think that is absolutely foreshadowing towards Will. Yeah. And I'm, I think I said it in yeah uh, last episode that Henry seems to be able to 
see into the future now. Yes. Like, obviously he's foreshadowing about Will. Mm. It's like, does either he or the Mind Flayer have a vision into the future? I think it's got to be from the Mind Flayer point of view. Yeah. Just because with it being such an ancient creature, I'm sure... Dustin says that in possibly season two. In regards, when they're saying it's so ancient. Yeah, you know. in regards to Dungeons and Dragons, obviously, which I think that fair. can be heavily referenced. I think that link is there for a reason. Yeah, and so far they've always stuck to Dungeons and Dragons characters. So yeah, yeah whether it's accurate or not, I mean, obviously the shape of the beasts doesn't quite match up. You know, no, the Demogorgon no. piece doesn't look like the Demogorgon creature, but. Again, I think they'd have a lawsuit on their hands <laughs> if they did. <laughs> Potentially. Unless they go ask nicely. Yeah. But I think the next thing I want to say really is, and it's it's a question, but it's not a question that I think you can answer and it's not a question I can answer, but it's driving me insane and I cannot wait to get the answer. And that is, why is the Upside Down frozen on November 6th, 1983? Yeah. Uh, like I say, it doesn't really make sense because the Upside Down isn't created then. Like no. Back in the day, when season one was as far back as we went, mm. you could think it was created then because that's when Elle opened the gate Yeah. Um, in the lab. But we obviously know from season four, she sends Henry to the Upside Down when she is eight years old. So that's a good few years before. Yeah. So... That that's not it. It's not because of that gate, at least. But when Henry goes there, isn't it a lot more like almost prehistoric a bit? Yeah, it doesn't seem to have replicated the real world yet, does yeah. it? So it's that work that Henry has put into it. But even if Henry has put that work into it, that still wouldn't make sense why he'd have it freeze on that day when Elle opens the gate. I just feel like there's going to be so much more to this. There's a reason, you know, they brought it up in season four. Yeah, the characters themselves mention it, yeah. So it's going to have a reason, but it's just driving me insane yeah. because I don't know what that is. It's odd, because, I mean, obviously there's no life going on in the Upside Down beyond Demogorg and Demodog, whatever. Um, So, first of all, why is it a replica of the real world at all anyway? Mm. Like you say, it never was to begin with, so where has that replication come from? Maybe it's easier for Vecna to kind of... If it's a mirrored world, maybe it's easier for him to possess and it's closer to reality, if you know what I mean. Like, the veil is much thinner. Because obviously Mm. we have times when, in season one, where um, Joyce can hear well or... They think they can see stuff, and I mean, they play on it, don't they? In season four, with the with the lights and stuff, with Erica and everything. Well, the lighting has always been a thing. Yeah, yeah. they used to light bright toy yeah. as a communication. Yeah, device. they use yeah. like a toy, and it that the veil is so thin at that point between the two worlds. So maybe him replicating Hawkins makes it easier for him to prey on his victims. I'm yeah. not sure. and I mean. Maybe this just wouldn't make sense on the time frame still. But the way in season four, now that that massive gate is open and the upside down is leaking into the real world, do we think maybe it leaks the other direction as well? 
Possibly. But then why would it freeze at that time? Mm. Unless maybe as you go further out, when more gates have opened, it starts to copy newer time as well. Maybe. Suddenly. But it, it just... Yeah, it's it's odd because it's as if you've just it's as if you've got a Sims world. Yeah, you've saved a copy of it. Yeah, and then forgotten about that copy. You go back to it and it's like ancient. Yeah, and this is it. They they I really hope they give us an answer to this in season five because they've really like sparked my curiosity. Yeah, <laughs> and I'll need an answer. Yeah, I need an answer to this. <laughs> that no theory I can come up with makes sense. No, no. It hurts my brain. It literally <laughs> hurts. But I just want to know the answer. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but going back to this episode, is there any... This is obviously our first look at a lot of the characters. And is there any for you that surprised you or stuck out? I think every Whatever time reason. I... Yeah, every time I go back to season one, especially the first episode, it amazes me how different Steve is. Yeah. And I mean... You know, they had to turn it back anyway because they fell in love with Joe Keery. Yes. But the fact that he was originally meant to be a Billy. I know. Um, you Just know, as extreme as Billy. Beyond, yeah. in many ways, if you've ever seen the original script. But, um, yeah, the fact that that is Steve in season one and then by season two he swings around and we all love him. Yeah, because it is a bit of an uncomfortable watch, um, this first episode in regards yeah. to Steve. He's not extreme, as obviously they had planned, but there's still a lot of moments where Nancy is saying no, and like I said, how many times can a girl say no? Yeah, um, well that's it, the whole, you get a question wrong, you take off a bit of clothing. Yeah, and, and as he's kissing her, he's starting to unbutton her top, and thankfully... You know, she has got the strength in that moment to be like, no, yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and stand up and move away from him. And to be fair to his character, he doesn't say like, oh, you're this and leave. Yeah. He does continue with the revision and leaves her alone at that point. But yeah, it is a bit of an uncomfortable watch. And I'm so, so, so glad they went down a different avenue with Steve because... yes. We all love Steve. <laughs> we do. We do love Mama Steve. <laughs> so I'm so glad about that. And another kind of character that I must admit, the first time I ever watched um, the first episode of Stranger Things, especially in the first scene that we, we see her in, I was, I felt like Joyce was an absent mother. Yeah. And I'm referring to the scene in which she's looking for her keys and Jonathan is there literally doing everything telling her where her keys are, getting his breakfast ready, getting Will's breakfast ready and saying he will get Will up for school, I felt a bit like, oh my gosh, like, you're home as well. Why haven't you... Why are you berating him for not checking on Will? Why haven't you checked on Will? Yeah. You know, why aren't you making the breakfast? Or, But, you know, it doesn't take long into the episode for me to start understanding Joyce's character a bit more and seeing that she's working pretty much double shifts yeah. and that she just does everything for her boys and yeah but in that first moment I do remember thinking oh she's a bit of an absent mother and oh no wonder you know yeah no one was home when he got home but but you you get to understand very quickly that they are a really close-knit family yeah and that they are just trying their best yeah exactly that's it she's 
you know, we're kind of living through those times at the moment, mm. and she's very much in that. She's the only person, well, so she's a single mother, having to try and bring up these two boys. Yeah. Yeah, she's working God knows how many shifts, and poor Jonathan is picking up extra shifts as well. Yeah. Because he knows they need that money. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. But I fully understand where you're coming from in the sense that before we understand that much of it, she pretty much does resemble an absent mother. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm so glad that she isn't one. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, that first ever glance I heard, that was what I had thought at the time. And, I mean, another character that we can't not talk about is Benny. Oh, Benny. It's insane to me that he's only in alive this first episode yeah i think like you know how you're saying about episodes merging yeah i think i felt like because he makes such an impact that he was in at least two episodes yeah yeah and i can't believe all those scenes are in the first episode and oh like our hearts breaking because we knew what was coming hear me out you got justice for barb right but Screw that. Justice for Benny. Justice for Benny. Honest to God. What a lovely man. Yeah, like you say, he went above and beyond. Yeah. And what else could he do? No. Like... And his death was incoming the minute... And this doesn't sound horrible to Elle, but the minute she, she she went to Benny's. Yeah, exactly. The minute he saw her, that was his fate sealed. And I was saying to you earlier... I don't understand why they felt the need to kill him. And this is talking about Connie Fraser here, the Mm. woman who comes instead of social services. I don't understand why she felt the need to kill him straight away before even trying to get to well. Because at the end of the day, he can clearly see that Elle's been abused. You know, she's not talking. She looks starved. She's got a tattoo of a number. And that is her name. At the end of the day, a kid in that situation is going to be scared of anyone who comes to try and take her away. Yeah. So Elle would run away from social services. That would be normal. They'd try and find her. That would be the end and Benny can live his happy life. But the thing is, that wouldn't happen. And And what I mean is, Benny wouldn't live his happy life knowing that that girl ran out of his um, diner and he didn't know the outcome. He'd be asking questions. Yeah. He'd be ringing social services back saying, did you find her? Like, oh my God, like, let me help find her. What happened? And if he actually gets through to real social services, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just don't think he would be happy. Like, would you, you know, if you found this child you know especially because you are a father you know you found this child and then social services come that you've called and she runs away you'd feel first of all so guilty and i don't think you could honestly be like oh it's okay they'll find her well no without asking questions to make sure she's okay yeah yeah i suppose so that didn't come to mind really you'd only really be happy if obviously you were certain they managed to get her but yeah, yeah, and this is it. They're never going to tell him the truth. No. And so to them, they're like, right, that solves someone else asking about Elle. Or even if he'd gone down another route and he hadn't trusted them. 
after they like all run after her or something mm. and he might have called Hopper you know yeah yeah you never know so I do think it was them trying to tidy up a loose end before but, oh, it even festered I suppose but yeah, yeah but, either but it way. just breaks my heart <laughs> Because he could have been so... He was so good to her. Oh, he was amazing. He was absolutely amazing. Like, that's it. If he went from furious at this boy stealing food out of his kitchen to, hold on, this is a girl who is very malnourished, clearly abused and just needs food, I will, like he said, you can have as much as you want until social services arrive. He, He did everything he could justice for benny and honestly like i know i'm going off a little a little off course here but from a fan fiction point of view like i've had mike and l in a future fan fiction call one of their sons ben after him because i do truly believe in canon i don't think l would ever forget him the first person she met outside the lab who only showed her kindness who got her to give like that first beautiful innocent smile yeah. and gave her her strawberry ice cream and oh god I don't think she'd ever forget him no I don't think she would and I think she would probably try and honour him in some way yeah Um, but there's obviously a scene in Benny's that you absolutely adore and yeah. I know you've mentioned before but I just feel like we can't not mention it because I think it's a turning point for all of the audience well maybe but it was my turning point because as I mentioned in our chapter one um, are we calling them chapters or episodes because my god I fluctuate between them all the time <laughs> well but, we were going with chapters weren't we because so that we followed the layout of Stranger Things yeah but it has made it a little confusing now that we are on Chapter four, discussing chapter one of season yeah, one. That, that's going to be fun to title. <laughs> but um, yeah, either way, and I know I've said episode a few times, but either way, I know I said in our chapter one that the moment for me, just because of how much I love telekinesis for some reason, I don't know why, I just do, <laughs> but the moment when Alice sat there eating her food and all she can hear is this rattling metal fan. I love how much it annoys her. I know, she looks at it with such a death stare like, you will shut up right now. (laughs) And it listens to her, alright. It gets the message. I love that scene as well, especially when she then just goes back to her fries, like she hasn't got <laughs> a care in the world, and she's yeah. like, hmm. she's got like that little satisfied look on her face. Yeah. Like, I think it's already shown at that point that she is like such a boss. Yeah, straight away. That's it. She's like, right, there we go. That's that stupid thing. Shut up. I can eat in peace. But it, but it is a moment, and I remember it was a moment for me as well, because that's the first time we go to, oh, this girl's got powers. Yeah. She's a superhero. Okay. okay. Yeah, straight away. So yeah, it is. It is a big moment. Um, other moments I would say in the show for me were were Hopper. I have questions about Hopper really, in the sense of when he finds the bike and he goes to the buyer's house. Like, is he thinking Will is hurt in the woods, or does he think something's frightened Will? Because, like you said, like he picks up on the mark on the wall that have been made by the door slamming yeah. and like the um, the bullets that are all all over the place in the shed yeah. yeah that's it he can clearly see that someone uh, most likely will has rushed home to yeah. the point that he left his Cadillac of a bike in his own words um, 
just laying there in the woods. Yeah. Scarped her on his feet. Mm. Ran through the house, slammed the door open to the point that it's dented the wall. Yeah. Ran straight out. Can we also respect the fact that someone finally listened to the dog? <laughs> yeah. Because, wasn't it Chester, the dog? I think so, yeah. yeah. Chester, the dog, is barking at the shed. Mm. And Joyce, of course, being the typical character, did miss, did, dismisses the dog yeah, straight away. Yeah. And Hopper, though, looks between the dog and the shed and is like, okay, why are you barking at the shed? Yeah. And goes in. I don't understand how no one had listened to the dog before that because, you know, dogs are brilliant with things like this. Yeah. It's police dogs it, for a reason. Exactly. It's not like police hamsters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could you imagine? But yeah, it's a cliche that everyone just shuns the dog aside like, oh, you, you don't know what you're barking at, you're just being stupid. Yeah. So thank you, Hopper, for being the one person I can actually think of that listens to the damn dog. Yeah. And yeah. then, yeah, he goes in the shed and there's a box of shotgun rounds laying there and uh, as you say probably all dropped on the floor I think Will does drop a few on the floor as he's trying yeah, to load yeah. it and Which you can got see to give respect to Will for loading a gun as well yeah clearly something he's learned off Lonnie I'm sure yeah um, but either way yeah he's loading this gun while shaking his boots off as well because he knows this big beast is coming after him and yeah, so Hopper's looking at the box. He can see where the gun is supposed to be on the wall, and in fact, it's missing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think Hopper, well, he charges out of there and says, "Right, we're getting a search party on right now." Yeah. He immediately switches from that point of, "Oh, he's just run away. He's just being a kid." To no, he's run yeah. away. He's run from something. And I can't remember which deputy it is, but one of them says. Do you think we have a problem here? And Callahan. That's and he, he doesn't answer him. <laughs> yeah, I he, think he just sort of look, Yeah, mm. I think he just sort of looks at him like, "Shut up." Yeah. Sort of thing. Like at first, yeah, you just think it's a kid that's just run off, but now it's a few days. Yeah. Maybe two at most, but yeah, a couple of days. The ha- and it's clear that he's run through the house in a massive panic. Yeah. So yes, my friend. We do have something going on here. Yeah. And that's it. So I suppose I answered my own question with the search party through the woods. He must have thought he's come home. You know, he's got that gun and he's ran. Like something's chasing him of some description. And so probably does think he's in the woods with the search party being in the woods. Yeah. It would make the most sense. Yeah, it would. But, oh gosh, it's just so... It's such an intense episode. And I do remember watching it for the first time and like the moments where for instance in Castle Byers where the um the door fabric flutters and and with the phone call at that point I was so torn as to whether I thought he Will was dead or not I wasn't sure if he was like almost invisible yeah so something else I forgot to mention character wise when I first watched this Mm. um back on exactly the 10th of December 2017 I can tell you (laughs) Um, yeah when I first watched it then I was thinking well just mainly because of the voice and he looked a lot smaller as well Yeah, I thought that Will was younger than the other boys sort of along Mm. the lines technically Noah was so yeah I suppose so yeah but obviously in universe they're all the same age yeah 
But yeah, he sort of reminded me of Georgie in it, compared to Bill and all the other boys. Which, for those that haven't seen it, you'd probably know the character just from, like... The boy like, with a yellow coat who loses an arm. Yeah. <laughs> basically, and then loses the rest of his body. Oh, um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, Georgie. So, I really thought that they were going right at it. And I mean, a lot of people compare Stranger Things in it. Obviously, the whole Demogorgon with the face opening, Pennywise does that. Um, and then a group of kids fighting this interdimensional beast. And, obviously, Finn Multhard. So, you've got all of those comparisons. And yeah, I was just... I'd, just, I'd seen it like a couple of months before this. Mm. For the first time. So... I had that on my mind and I was like, yeah, they're playing right up on it for this. So because of that, I thought, you know, they introduce Will, get to know him for a second and then boom, he's dead. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, for for the first few episodes, I thought he was dead. Yeah. And then this is leaking into the next episodes, obviously, but when the whole, you know, the classic lights on the wall scene comes along and all that... At that point, I'm like, okay, is he dead? Is he a ghost? Or is he alive? At that point, I've those are the three possibilities. Yeah. I almost felt like... I think at this point, I thought he was trapped in some sort of parallel world. But when I say that, I don't mean like, oh, I knew about the Upside Down. I mean, almost like a limbo before you die. Right, yeah. That people sometimes talk about. And I thought that... I, I didn't think there was going to be a way back for him, actually. I, I yeah. thought it was almost going to be like a he was lingering around to help them solve the case and then he would pass on kind of thing. Okay. And that was kind of where I was only for, well, at this point, season one. There was other episodes where I thought, oh, so he is dead. But oh, obviously yeah, we'll yeah. go into them. That's it. Yeah, we're leaking too far into other episodes. Yeah. Um. So I won't say that bit because I will end up just repeating it in a in a couple of episode times (laughs) but the only other thing really I'd written down which I'd never really thought of until season 4 was the moment where Mike, Dustin and Lucas find Elle in the woods and it just kind of occurred to me that like you had said she's pretty much um, put Henry and memories of the other subjects to the back of her mind because of the trauma but it just made me think that she wouldn't immediately trust children because she might still have some memories of the other subjects, how they bullied her, how they yeah. treated her. And so it kind of amazed me in that moment, thinking of that context from season four and thinking, my God, like she trusted these three boys enough to go with them. Yeah. And this is why the first thing that I want you to try writing again <laughs> is a filler between season, uh, episode one and two. Yeah. Because that's it. The start of episode two, she's got Mike's jacket on. Yes. They're at home. She's wrapped up in a blanket. Yeah. And all that. She's trusted them to go back to his house and now they're barraging her with questions. Yeah, so what happened in between? What happened in between? How much did Mike have to insist, please come with me, I will keep you safe, sort of thing. You know, you yeah. need to, you know, you're not going to make it. Yeah. In the rain like this. And I do think, again, so I will hopefully write, but I do think how much he's thinking, you know, 
already like how linked is this to Will, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Is it been it. like almost like an ab- a abduction of so many children? And, and this one's just made it out. Yeah. Yeah, because that's it. Yeah, they're in the same spot that Will went missing and suddenly there's this... Well, I don't know if he originally thinks Elle's a boy because of the hair and all of that. But <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, there's this girl with a shaved head who looks completely starved who only has a overgrown T-shirt covering her. Yeah, Benny's T-shirt at that point. Um... But yeah, it's it was quite the ending. But like for all of us fans of Mike and Elle, it's very much the beginning. Oh, it's the beginning, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is a special moment, and oh, I just can't wait for us to get on to episode two now. Yeah. But really, I think that's all we've got to cover on this episode. I think so. So thank you so much for listening. Yes, thank you very much again, wherever you're listening from. Yeah. Um, if you want to download from all your different countries, please do, because we'll see more of you that are listening across the world. Which yeah, is, that'd be great. It's such a crazy, amazing feeling. Absolutely. It's a, it's a lovely feeling. Like yeah. I say, we're doing this just for a bit of fun. We're not after the numbers. We're not after fame. We're not after anything. We're just... No, this is just what we love. It's how exactly. we met. And it just feels right to be doing this before, you know, we... I don't want to say before it ends because there's going to be spin-offs. Yeah. But I am... The story of our main characters. Yeah. It's the right time to be doing this. And it just gets us so hyped for it as well. So again, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with the rewatch of Chapter 2. And we'll see you soon. Yep. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.